Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Michelle Elman about her new book, The Joy of Being Selfish, Why You Need Boundaries and How to Set Them. You frequently say yes to people and events to keep those around you happy. You often find yourself emotionally exhausted and physically drained. Do people describe you as a pushover or too nice? It's time to discover the joy of being selfish and reclaim your life through the art of boundaries. Life coach and influencer Michelle Elman is here to teach you the practical side of self-love. Creating and upholding strong boundaries will teach others how to treat you, rid your life of drama and toxic relationships, and allow you to love yourself and others in the best way you can. Michelle Elman is a five-board accredited life coach, host of the podcast, In All Honesty, and author of the book, Am I Ugly?, which was named a top read by Cosmopolitan. Best known for her campaign, Scarred, Not Scared, she was named one of the Sun's 50 most inspirational women in the UK. She has appeared on BBC Radio, Fox News, and the Today Show, and has been featured in Women's Health, People, Teen Vogue, MTV, BuzzFeed, and the Huffington Post. A prolific public speaker whose TEDx talk has been viewed more than 60,000 times, she holds a Bachelor of Science degree in psychology and lives in London. Her new book, The Joy of Being Selfish, Why You Need Boundaries, and how to set them is the subject of today's interview. For more information, please visit www.michellelman.com. Thank, thank you, you for so being much. here today. Yeah. Oh, thank you for having me on. I'm so looking forward to talking to you. Yeah, great. So I'm hoping that you could start us off by just telling us a little bit about how you became so interested in boundaries, because that's what this book is all about. 
and how you came to write this particular book. Yeah, so I have been a life coach for about seven years. And what I found was, especially in the beginning, I was working with a lot of people with body image issues and self-esteem issues in general. And the tool that I kept coming back to was boundaries and how I define boundaries, because I think everyone has a slightly different definition, is it's how we teach the world to treat you. So it's what is and isn't acceptable. It's the line between who we are and who the world wants us to be. And it was the tool that not only did I use most with clients, it was the tool I was using most in my personal life. And I think the reason why I'm so passionate about it and not just think it's a useful tool, um, but actually get excited to talk about it is because of the transformation it's had on my own life. And it took me from a people pleaser, or if I want to use a nastier word, a pushover, um, to the boundary person I am now. And it's been a long journey. I think sometimes, especially in this clickbait culture, we are very quick to want quick tips that will happen in two seconds that you can fit in a 30 second video. But the reality is me learning boundaries took me five years. And it was small pieces in my life, different contexts, um, taking step backs because growth is never linear um, and discovering blind spots that I had when it came to boundaries. And it's why um, I want to, to put it in a resource to share with people, because anytime I talk about boundaries, I'd get my followers on Instagram saying, where did you learn this from? Can you please share your resource or where you're learning this? But the person I was learning this from was a human. So <laughs> I couldn't exactly share her with everyone. It's my own life coach, Michelle Zelly. Um, and so I, I essentially needed to write it down. It's that um, old school saying of if you want a book to exist and it doesn't, then it's your duty to write it. And so I felt it was my duty to write it. That's wonderful. How do you, how did you weave that knowledge into this book? The knowledge from my own life or the knowledge from working with people? Well, I think in particular, the knowledge that this isn't something that happens quickly, that this is a process and that you actually learn it from another person, from yeah. another coach. Well, because it, it would arise in sessions just as you go and live your life. So um, I've been working with my life coach for seven years, but it wasn't exactly us sitting down in one session and being like, right, the next um, pivotal piece in your life is going to be boundaries. It would be like something happens. And then I would go to her with the situation and be like, what do I do? What do I say? Um, and it was small things. Like I remember one session very early on, probably in the first year we were working together and someone was speaking to me in a way I didn't like. And she said, well, why didn't you say that? Why didn't you say you can't speak to me that way? And I went, you can't say that. Like, it, it just never occurred to me. Like, English is my first language. It's my native language. And yet that sentence never occurred to me that those words could be put in that order and come out of my mouth. It was like, it wasn't the fact that I, I didn't think I had a right to say it. It was I just didn't even think of it to say at all. And so it would be these phrases and some of the times it was literally her constructing a text on my phone for me because I'd be like, right, theoretically agree with you. Okay, I understand what the change needs to take place, but I just don't have this language. Like I, I don't know how to actually go about it. And to be honest, when I tried myself, I would overshoot the mark because I do tend to maybe go more blunt and I call it blunt, but some people call it aggressive um, than not so. And I think that's a part of my culture, I'm half Chinese. Um, 
And so it was definitely like learning a new language. And so that's kind of how um, it started coming up, up in my own life. And how I weaved it into the book was I do tell personal stories alongside it because one of my key um, messages or something that I'm also really passionate about is that um, personal development professionals don't need to be perfect. And there's this idea and this pressure that psychologists or counsellors or therapists or life coaches need to be perfect humans and that we get everything right and we know how life works and we have all the life hacks. And it's just not true. We have our own wounding. We have our own things that need to be healed. And so I think it's actually a better example and why I include my own examples in the book that I made these mistakes too and I grew from them which is proof that I'm not giving you stuff that I've not tried myself I'm giving you everything that has actually worked in my own life tried and tested by me and if it didn't work it wouldn't have made it in the book right right so would you say that the book is sort of documenting your transformation and offering that possibility to readers yeah I think it is if there was a a percentage I think it does lean closer towards helping you than about me um my first book was a memoir so that was very much about me the second book I see it more as a life coaching book and also a practical self-help book that um gives you the tools techniques and also looks at the broader picture of okay why didn't I feel comfortable setting boundaries why was this never taught to me why do women in general struggle more with boundary setting than men and looking at it from a societal point of view because I think also making boundaries a personal responsibility thing which whilst yes boundaries are your personal responsibility but the reason why you find it so difficult is not just an individualistic thing. This is a systemic thing. And it comes down to this pressure on women to be martyrs, to give so much to everyone else. Um, I was actually listening to a podcast yesterday about saying how women are seen as uh, human doers, whereas everyone else is allowed to be a human being. They're allowed to exist. They're allowed to be present day to day, but women have to give everything of themselves and always be doing, 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 always be on the go. Um, and I got those messages, not necessarily through words, but just implicitly, just living in our culture. Um, anytime a woman got complimented for being selfless, anytime a woman got insulted by saying she was difficult to work with because she had standards or because she had boundaries, um, you get this, you've sent these messages from really early ages and you don't realize they're taking place until someone pointed them out to me and it was it was so obvious once I saw it that I could see it everywhere in the world but until that point I thought I was the problem and then realizing it's a much bigger issue was what really helped me so I also put elements of that in the book as well. So you're saying there's this challenge for for women and then there's the lack of our awareness at times that there's other options for us. Like when, you know, when you were told like, well, you could just say that. And then there's a need for someone to help show us how to do that or model it. Yeah. And I also think it's about, um, so language is a huge thing. So giving people the language to do it. And then also realizing that you don't need to be treated that way, that you deserve to set boundaries, um, that you can stand up for yourself and that does essentially come down to self-esteem as well. Yeah. So for people that are struggling with how, 
how that actually works for people who are kind of like, what, what do you mean? I don't even know what a boundary is. Is there some, an example from the book that you might be able to share or? So the simplest boundary we know, and we actually learn as a child is the word no. And being able to use the word no means that your yes has more power. And if you, as a child, if someone took away your toy, you would scream the word no, you knew how to use this word. And it's only as you get older, as your theory of mind evolves, um, theory of mind means that you can not only think, but you can, you have an awareness that other people think too. And therefore, if other people can think too, they can think about you. And therefore, they can have negative thoughts about you, that we start people pleasing. And I think also, as children, you're taught, taught, be quiet, do as you're told, all of these things to be polite, to not be rude, give your uncle a hug, you're being rude. Um, and so you start squashing down your needs, you stop learning, you start, even though you want to say no, you stop saying no, and you start saying yes, even when you mean no, because you are trying to be polite, or you're trying to be agreeable, or you want someone to like you. And that's when it starts getting more confusing. So that is where I tell most people to start with the word no. And all it's as simple as when you want to say no, say no. And when you want to say yes, say yes. And just make that your simple rule. And maybe that sounds really difficult when it comes to your family members, your loved ones. Then do it with a stranger. Do it when uh, you're having food in a restaurant and the waiter comes over and goes, are you happy with your food? And you just instinctually say yes, even though you aren't actually say no, be true to what you're feeling, detect what you're feeling and say it. Um, same with hairdressers, when you're getting your hair cut and they go, are you happy? And then you leave the salon and you start crying. And it's like, well, why did you say no? When, when you, why do you say no rather than, why did you say yes rather than saying no, you're not happy and getting a solution in the moment, you've now left with a negative consequence because you've not vocalized how you're truly feeling in the moment. Right. I think most people would say they don't want to have the conflict that they would describe the discomfort they experience in telling someone no or telling someone they're not happy. It's a moment's discomfort for a lifetime of actually me getting your needs and values met. Life involves hard conversations. And I think Again, we live in a culture that wants an easy, quick solution. It's why all these hacks exist. But sometimes things are hard to do. It wouldn't have taken me five years if it was easy to do. And if it was easy to do, this book wouldn't exist because we would all naturally have boundaries. It's exactly that moment of discomfort that is what pre is preventing everyone else from setting boundaries. So if you want your life to stay the same, go ahead. Be scared of that moment of discomfort. If you want it to change, then that's your decision. I'm not here to, to be on either side. I'm just here to provide you the tools if you do want to change. I think you also are providing some of the background information to motivate people too. I think you are trying to point out that, in, that you are suffering yourself. If you are trying to avoid conflict with others, you're still not avoiding conflict. The conflict now is just within yourself. Absolutely. And I also think just from a personal perspective, I grew up in hospital and so I'm very aware of the limited amount of um, time we have on this earth. I had a lot of surgeries before the age of 19. I had 15 surgeries. And so I'm acutely aware of how short life is. 
And I think the saddest part about learning how to set boundaries later rather than sooner, you have less time to live your life. You're living everyone else's life. You're living their needs. You're meeting their approval. You're getting all of their needs met. You're taking care of everyone else. But it's your life. If you're not going to take care of you, then who else is? And it is genuinely your job to take care of yourself. And so... Yes, I am slightly biased. I do want you to be setting boundaries. But I also understand that if you're not in that place and you're not ready to do so, and that is such a daunting life choice for you now that you can return to this book at any time. But if you're going to sit and read the book the entire time and go, oh, well, easier said than done, uh, then you're kind of wasting both of our times. And so it's okay if you're not ready for that yet. But hopefully with some of the broader concepts in the book, especially around society, it's opening your mind to understanding why that is, why it's seeming like such a daunting task. And yes, planting a small seed of doubt that there's a possibility of change. And I think the other thing that you do address here too, is that there are consequences of becoming conditioned to please other people and if you point this out, like one of them is you become so attuned to what others want that you don't even know what you want. And I like that in the book, you included the wheel of emotions. And maybe you could say a little bit more about what that process is like to, for a person to sort of, because that's, I would think it's another thing people say, well, well I don't even know what I want I or I don't know how to say that, but I also don't know what to ask for. Yeah, so the main thing I found is I when people say, well, how do you know your boundaries are being crossed? And the main thing I would say is anger and resentment. And then they would go, well, I don't know what anger feels like, or I don't, I'm never angry. And it's like, well, I don't think there's a single human in the world who has never experienced anger. You might not be noticing that anger. You might be projecting it on the road rage in the car or because your waiter took too long with your food. But anger is in you, whether you... Um, are noticing it is something different. And so that's why it almost had to be a pivotal tool in the book to teach people, okay, well, how do you detect when anger is present in your body? What can you do about that anger? And rather than shaming that anger and shaming yourself for feeling that anger, and be, especially women uh, are always taught to not, that anger is unladylike and that it's, it's an uh, ugly, ugly emotion, especially on women. When you do that, you stop you stop yourself from realizing anger is actually a tool to tell you something. And what it is telling you is that your boundary is crossed. And so one of the biggest ways I know to feel your emotions, to be aware of your emotions, to notice them when they arise in your body is to actually spend more time in your body. And that sounds like a weird thing to say, but we spend so much time in our heads thinking that actually if I said to you, emotions live in your body and that you will feel anger somewhere in your body which means like very literally you will feel it in your heart you could feel it in your stomach you might feel it as a ball you might feel it as heat or pressure you might feel it as a pulsing sensation everyone is different there is no right or wrong way and you can talk to that feeling in your body so if there's like a tight ball in your stomach let's say asking it what emotion are you and you can actually feel what emotion that is um, and learning those skills, which we are never taught. Everyone says, feel your emotions, and then you're never taught how to actually do it. Those were the life skills that also changed my relationship to my feelings, let myself have those emotions, and then go, okay, so what is it trying to tell me? And now what can I do about it? Because also taking action 
on those emotions, not reacting, but actually taking action as a conscious, deliberate thing afterwards can help resolve a lot of that anger. You set that boundary, that anger disappears. Or you set that, another one is resentment. Resentment often arises if someone's stepping over your boundaries a number of times and you've done nothing about it. What, what do you suggest for people that find that to be a, like a foreign idea, like spend time in my body? What, what do you mean? How do you, how do, you do that? What, is that? what does it look like? The first step I would probably say that is quite simple is to focus on your breath. So sometimes it's literally just breathing in for seven, breathing out for 11. I'm doing seven, 11 at the moment, but there are multiple different variations of that four and six or the out breath just has to be longer than the in breath. The in breath should be through the nose, the out breath through the mouth. Um, although again, various different models of thinking have different uh, mindsets on that. But focusing on your breath will bring you into your body. And so follow your breath down into your body. Um, and then oh, something I call a body scan. So literally go from your head down to your shoulders where and find the source of discomfort find the source of pain and start there and just put your attention on it you don't need to do anything you don't need to ask it any questions just put your attention on it and what you'll notice is that the pain will often get worse or the discomfort will tend to get worse before it gets better but if you can sit with it long enough and continue to breathe through it it will get worse and then it will start to release and that's you actually feeling your emotions. And whatever arises, let it arise. If it's um, tears, then cry. If it's, and this is why you'd probably want to do this alone. Um, if it's um, a feeling of pins and needles, you might want to shake your, shake your arms out if you have pins and needles in your arms, for example. Um, if you have a sensation of wanting to scream, scream. If you feel like a blocked thing in your throat and maybe that ball in your stomach has risen up to your throat scream as assuming you're alone and <laughs> you are in a place that's appropriate scream you're not hurting anyone by doing all these things and I think sometimes within the book I outline the fact that we have this idea that anger especially is such this dangerous aggressive emotion but actually it's what we do with it and it's okay to hit a pillow just as long as you're not hurting yourself and you're not hurting anyone else it's actually the healthy way to feel your feelings and so if you are able to feel those feelings around anger, then you can actually set the boundary in an emotionally neutral way because you're able to recognize, oh, okay, so that anger came up because I didn't set a boundary. Let's sort out the anger first. Okay, now let's go set the boundary. And so it's about this almost two-pronged approach. And then as a result, you don't have resentment. And then resentment usually seeps out in passive-aggressive comments, um, snide remarks, jokes that aren't really jokes. Um, and this is where also referring back to what you last said, you'd never really get rid of it. So it's this idea of like, oh, I don't need boundaries right now. It comes out in other ways. It's affecting you in other ways. You might not think it's affecting you as much as, um, you are aware of because maybe this passive aggressive, sarcastic sense of humor is what you're known for. And so you've never noticed it as actually a side effect from having weak boundaries. And you know, you, you talk a little bit about how that affects your self-esteem too. I think you, know, you, you, you address the whole idea too, that sometimes the ways that we do cope with our anger, we don't really like that about ourselves. Yeah. And I also think it has led to a lot of avoiding difficult conversations. I think things like ghosting are becoming more common because we 
are so scared of having those moments of discomfort, of having those difficult conversations, that we do behaviors like ghosting that we're not proud of, um, and that we wouldn't uh, want to, other people to do to us. So it, the self-esteem piece of it is also the fact that if you've been taught that you need to do so much for other people to be a good enough human, not doing those things anymore can feel like your whole world is crashing down because it's this mentality that, well, if I didn't pick up the phone after one ring, if I didn't go to my friend's party every single time they invited me, then they'll stop inviting me. I'm not a good friend. I'm not a good mother. I'm not a good wife. I'm not a good colleague. I'm not a good boss. All of these things, all of these labels that form part of our self-esteem are things that we, it's, it's measured by how much we give. And so when we stop giving, it has to come from internal. It has to be knowing that you're actually worth something without having to do anything, that you don't have to give that much of yourself in order to still be of value in someone's life. And that the people love you, the people who love you in your life, love you because they love you, not because you do things for them. And if they, the only reason they love you is because you do things for them, then that's when you start needing to reevaluating who's in your life. Which you talk about in the book. And I don't know if you if there's things you want to kind of give the listeners a little hint about what, how you get into that. And I, I think you even had the you had a name for for one year of <laughs> of reevaluating some of your friendships. Yeah, so I called it my mass exodus because the number of people leaving my life was so extreme and uh, shocking, to be honest, because you always get sent this message of having lifelong friends and best friends forever. And um, when I started saying boundaries, it was quite a shock to the system, especially for a people pleaser that, oh, wait, I suddenly stop saying yes to every single thing you want and you don't want to be there for me anymore. Um, so uh, there are two options. You can distance from certain people and you can cut people out. And I believe it's important when talking about both of these things that both things should be done with communication. Both things should be done after boundary setting. You don't just cut someone out because they've not met your requirements or your needs one time. It's about communicating. And some of the time they don't even know what you want until you've communicated that. So you need to set the boundary, hold the boundary. And if your boundary is continuously being disrespected, that's when you need to question if this is a person you actually want in your life. And I think it's funny phrasing it as that because so many people don't realize that the people in their life can be conscious decisions, including family. And if every single person in your life, family included, is it a conscious decision, then they shouldn't be in your life. What do you do, though, if you realize there are all these people that are in your life because of what you do for them? How, what, what helps you bridge that time that you're evaluating old relationships and like you don't want to be all alone? Sometimes you have to be all alone. And I had to go through that uncomfortable phase of being alone. And in that alone period, what I realized was there was almost an avoidance to being alone. And that's what kept me in relationships that I shouldn't have stayed in, whether that be friendships or romantic. Um, because if you're so scared of being alone, you will just keep people around for the sake of it. And so there was a year, two years of a lot of Friday nights in on my on by by myself and having to make that time special just for me, not because someone was coming over or because I had fun plans, but realizing that actually it is better to be alone than to be in a room full of people who supposedly love you, but you feel so misunderstood by. 
And so when you lose all those people, you're creating space for new people to enter your life. And there was a lot of difficult conversations I had to have. And there were a lot of people I still loved, but just didn't, it wasn't good for me to be in those relationships. And so um, you have these conversations where you tell people, well, this is the new me. This is me changing. These are my new boundaries. I need you to respect them. And then you start to realize the people who don't respect your boundaries never really respected you in the first place. Because if you don't respect my boundaries, then then what is this relationship? Because a friendship, a romantic relationship, any one of your loved ones should care about your feelings. And if so- something they're doing is affecting you, they might not acquiesce completely to everything you say, but if they don't respond in a caring and loving way, then you have to really consider whether, and it's having that self-esteem to not go internal and not go, oh, did I say it wrong? Did I say it too harshly? Did I set the boundary the wrong way? And instead go, well, actually, your response was quite telling and your response is what I needed to know, even if it's not the answer I wanted. Right. You talk about gaslighting, which has become a much more popular or and more often used word these days. I think you're, you're hinting at a little bit of, of that there, that there are a lot of ways people can respond to us that do trigger that sort of self-doubt. I wonder if you could say a little more about that. I mean, I have since publication have probably thought that the word gaslighting is now being a little overused. Um, And I think one thing I would say is that people can accidentally gaslight you and people can uh, maliciously gaslight you. And one of the things that kind of illuminated it for me was uh, one of the books, one of the stories in the book, I talk about a friend calling me unforgiving. This is a friend who I still love, is still in my life today. And when I put it in the book, it was not said out of maliciousness at all, but then I was doing all these interviews and um, in the interview would be like, I can't believe you have a friend who's called you unforgiving. And I was like, forgiving is not that bad a word to call. Like, it wasn't like she called me a, a, a rude word in my mind. It was her opinion of me and that's okay. She's allowed to have that opinion. She probably still has that opinion. We're still friends. It's fine. She can think that. Um, and it was, it was these conversations where people were like, but isn't that her gaslighting you? And I was like, you know what? Technically, yes. Does that serve the conversation to label it as gaslighting? No. Um, and I had an even recent example of that where um, I was I was upset by something that someone had done. And I got really upset and I started crying. And his response was, like, I understand I've done wrong. I've messed up. But I just think crying is a little bit extreme. And that technically is gaslighting because gaslighting is meant to make your feelings feel invalid, undermine all of that. I could have gone, you're gaslighting me. And blo-, and the whole conversation would have taken a completely tra- different trajectory. We would have never actually solved the issue. Instead, what I chose to do was I said, instead of saying it's extreme, can you just say you don't understand why and ask me why? And so then he asked me why and we could actually resolve it. I just don't think labels are very helpful. The only reason why I put gaslighting in the book and examples and stories like that is because it's useful if it's a continuous thing and an intention, uh, an intentional malicious thing to be able to notice it. And I've had moments in my own life where I have been systemically gaslit over and over to the point where I've got so confused, I've not known what I think anymore and gone to an external person and they've gone, 
you're being gaslit. And in those moments, it's really important because it almost like was a light bulb. And I went, oh my God, the last three months just make complete sense. I didn't realize this was going on. And so it's an important and valid theory word. And I'm glad people are aware of it more. We can't throw it into every single situation that arises because communication is messy. Communication is clumsy. I say this throughout the book. And just because a friend calls you unforgiving doesn't mean you end the friendship. It means you just tell them. And I did in the book, within the book, it actually says this. Hey, that was really hurtful. Don't want you to say that again. Please don't say that again. She's never done it again. Or there were a few other comments she had made, but part of being in any relationship having a two-way dynamic interaction with a human is that hurts are going to happen it involves risk it involves messy communication and having a bit of grace and understanding the intention behind it um allows for a lot of these conversations to take place and so yes it's it's a two it's a two it's two mm, i i'm on the fence about the word gaslighting at the moment well, it's interesting because listening to you, what's coming up for me is there's an, okay, I, I could imagine people being wondering if there's a, how you, how you build forgiveness into setting a boundary, because like when I hear you talk about someone calling you unforgiving, you know, if they've hurt you, shouldn't, someone might say, well, did you want to like put a boundary up and say, I can't be your friend if you're going to say those things? And then what about the idea that like, okay, she's not going to say it anymore, but what if she's still thinking it? Okay, so there's a difference between a boundary and the consequence. So I did set a boundary in that moment. And that story within the book is an example of me setting a boundary where I said, um, like, please don't name call or please don't, I can't remember the exact um, situation. She had said, essentially, the the worst thing she said in that Uh, communication was that I would never find a boyfriend if I was going to be that unforgiving and I said that's really hurtful don't say that again she's never said it again the problem is you set that boundary and a lot of people then carry it on so then they go okay well you've said it and now I'm never going to forget it and that to me is then a grudge and so I said don't say it again she's not said it again that boundary isn't crossed again so if if she did cross it again, maybe in a different way, maybe she says a different word, maybe she says I'm selfish, I would say, hey, you remember when I said, when we have these difficult conversations, we need to not call each other names or throw any insults. I'd like you to keep to that boundary and not do it again. And you set a consequence. So if you do that again, I'm going to walk out of the room. If you do that again, I'm going to end the conversation and you come, can, come find me when you're ready to have a conversation without insults. It's about having a consequence that is appropriate too. And no one can decide what is appropriate. If unforgiving is the word that gets under your skin, I mean, I would personally say look un- look into why unforgiving is such a um, sensitive to- word because usually that is to do with childhood. If it's so sensitive that um, you want to end a friendship over one word. But it's about the consequence. So the consequence, the appropriate consequence for me is... I will end the conversation if you throw insults at me. I'm not going to end the relationship because you throw insults at me. If you repeatedly throw insults at me, if you've done it two, three times, then I will actually consider ending a friendship because I just don't think uh, arguments, disagreements should end in, should be a, a competition of who can ho- who can hurt who the most. Um, but it's about knowing 
the consequences and telling that person what the consequence is. So if you tell them, if you do that again, I'm going to walk out the room following through on that confidence, uh, on that consequence, following through on that consequence and then actually walking out the room. Okay. And I think another piece of this that comes up in, in, in the book is recognizing when um, one or both people need some time or space. Maybe you could yeah. say a little about that. I was always a person who uh, didn't think I was very eloquent when I was younger. And so I felt really pressured having to have a conversation in the moment and I was never very good at it. And so what would happen is I would get louder and louder. And that was my solution to not being very eloquent, which it wasn't a thought through solution. But realizing I could actually say, hey, I need five minutes or noticing when an emotion is arising in me, recognizing some of this emotion arising might not be 100% about the person sitting in front of me. Some of it could be about it's triggering an old memory. It's triggering an old emotion meant I could actually use the words, I need five minutes or I, I need to not talk about this today. I have a big meeting in an hour. Can I talk to you at the weekend about it? And while I was writing the book, I had a situation come up with one of my best friends. It was a, the biggest fight we'd had. And my book was about to be handed in two days later. And I was like, I, I, I don't. And I could have rushed the conversation. Could I have made time for it, squeezed it in the day? Absolutely. Would it have been a productive conversation? Would I have been a little bit more um, emotionally charged than I would have liked to? And would I have been less clear headed than I wanted to? Yes, absolutely. But why rush the conversation if it's with a person I care about, who is willing to wait, who understands it's not I'm not using this time as a punishment. And that's a big piece of it, because some of the time when people go, well, I need space, they don't say it and they just disappear. And then that person is left in anxiety being like, well, is this relationship over? Are we like, are you still angry at me? So communicate when you need space, tell them and give give a specific date. So anytime I leave a conversation, I might say, I'll be back in five minutes. I'll be back in an hour. I'll speak to you. I'll message you on Monday, whatever it is. Tell them that it's so that it's not being used as a punishment. This isn't about you. This is for me, for me to be able to have the best conversation that I want us both to have. I need this time. I need to process it separately. And a lot of the time it is actually for their benefit as well, because otherwise, if we have the conversation in the moment, I will be so confused in my own stuff that I won't know what is your stuff and what is my stuff. Whereas if you give me a little bit of time, I can go, okay, so 70% of this is about the situation in front of me. 30% of this is about some childhood bully that is bringing up an old memory and you're able to separate it. And then you can have a conversation about um, what is in front of you with that person. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds good. Um, just tapping into one part of this is that you've mentioned a couple of times sort of ghosting and you do have a good example of how someone might respond to someone who's ghosting. There's sort of ghosting. And then I think the other um, situation that you described really well is like somebody who want, wants to come in and out of your life and they're not being consistent. Like they're want to connect when it's convenient for them or when they're interested, but you're not, they're not, you have no way of knowing how to count on them. And you kind of make the point that a boundary is sort of saying to them, like, listen, that, that this is what I need if you want to have a relationship with me. Maybe you could say something about that, because I think that that was hugely 
I think it was written really well in, in a way that would be helpful to people because ghosting is a big thing now with the online yeah. dating and all and that. The reappearing ghosts, that's what I call them. Because you have the ones who ghost and then never reappear and then you have the ones who pop back in, touch base, want to keep you as an option. Um, there's a new term called benching where you keep someone on the back bench um, and it's essentially that where it's like, I'm just going to like your, your Instagram photos every few days so that, you know, we still have a little bit of contact. I don't do revolving doors. Once the door is shut, the door is shut. And a lot of the time when I talk about cutting people out and all of these things, people go, well, like, do you ever regret it? And I've never regret it when I've set the boundaries appropriately. And so when it ends, I end it. And if someone starts doing that thing of, um, wanting to have a relationship when it's convenient for them and then disappearing when it's not convenient for them, then I do just simply send a text saying, hey, this doesn't work for me. Um, you can't pick and choose when you when you have access to me. Um, and so if you want to be in my life, then be in my life. But if you don't want to be in my life, that's also okay. And we can just go on our separate ways, but I need to know which one. I like how in at one point in the book, you write to like, and I usually sign off with like, I hope that's good with you. Like you don't even have to, you can be very straightforward and clear and you don't have to come across as, as bitter. Yeah. I, I actually just did a post on Instagram um, on the text I have actually sent. I went through my phone and found every text where maybe not everyone, but a lot of them, I like six of them of every text I've sent to a person ending a relationship. <laughs> and obviously that's not so many because most of the time if it goes past a certain stage you're doing it in person but usually if it's the first or second date i do it over text and i don't think that's a problem um and to be fair i am a better communicator over text because it allows me time so actually i have a lot of difficult conversations over text rather than in person and i check with the person that that's okay and suits their boundaries as well um, but I, I put all these texts together and it was funny seeing the language and all of them that they were very similar and all of them end with something like, take care, hope you find what you're looking for, have a lovely day. Um, <laughs> so it, it, it's, it's firm, it's knowing what I want, it's being clear with them because I think being clear is kind, but I don't hate you. And in nearly all of the texts, I say, thank you for something. I say, thank you for the lovely chats. Thank you for the lovely evening last night. Thank you for um, the pub quiz last night. I had a great time. You can have a great time and still not want to go on another date. And so it's about being, I, I don't know what the word is, gracious. Um, thanking someone for spending time with you, thanking for the week that you were talking, whatever it is. And then also being like, but no more. And that's okay. Um, and so, yeah, I just, I don't, I don't believe in this brutal honesty. I don't think you ever need to be cruel. Um, and I think sometimes in the ending it conversations I've seen, people are almost unnecessarily hurtful. You don't need to call someone boring. You don't need to, um, you don't need to call someone like all kinds of names or tell people that I, it's, there's something in the like over honesty that, it's almost like trying to dig a knife in when ending it. And it's like, well, if you're the one ending it, then do them the service of having, being able to leave your memories intact. <laughs> they're nice memories, even if it, it was only a short phase, they're nice memories. But then if you end it saying, well, I just didn't find you very attractive, like, 
well, who's that helping? That doesn't help them. They're going to go into the, the, the rest of their dating life with an insecurity about the way they look. Um, and who says you're right anyway? Just because you find them attract, don't you don't find them attractive doesn't mean they're unattractive. It just means you're not attracted to them, but you're not the gospel on what's beautiful and what's not beautiful. And so don't therefore pass on your own judgment as a fact. And so that's why I tend to stay away from anything too detailed. So there was one guy who I I didn't find the conversation. Um, we weren't a good match. And that's the way I, I phrase it. We weren't a good match. I didn't find the conversation particularly interesting. That's not to say he's a boring person. That's to say we weren't a good match. And so in the text, I do say, like, I just don't think this is going to work romantically. That is a much better thing to say than to say, um, well, I think you were a bit boring. And at times on the day, I kind of got a little bit bored and started thinking about my work that I need to do tomorrow. Like, why would you say that? It's so unnecessarily hurtful. So keep it short, concise, only say what you need to say, be firm, be clear. And that is the kindest approach. Yeah, I, what I hear you saying is you can be true to your own needs and you can be faithful to your own feelings and still be a thoughtful, considerate person. You can think about your own feelings and the other person's feelings. Exactly. Which is interesting because I think, you know, the name of your book, The Joy of Being Selfish, and you address this in the book as well. You talk about what does it mean to be selfish? I think people think selfish people don't think about other people's feelings, but that's not what you're advocating. No, I I think the reason why I use the word selfish is there are multiple reasons. First of all, it's the first insult that's thrown at any woman who takes care of themselves, that you're selfish, you're not putting other people first. And so there is power in reclaiming a word that is used against you. So if someone calls you selfish, you're going, that's fine if you think that, you're allowed to think that. I'm not going to try to change that opinion. You can think I'm selfish. It doesn't harm me in the same way that I said about that friend who thinks I'm unforgiving. It doesn't affect me that you think I'm unforgiving unless I let it affect me. Unless I decide that I'm now going to change my entire personality to be more forgiving. Is it okay that she has a different... Um, ra- there's a range of forgiveness. Forgivableness. <laughs> um, and there are more forgiving people in the world. There are less forgiving people in the world. Is it okay that she is more forgiving person than I am? Yes. Do I believe that my level of forgivability, whatever that word is, is is wrong? No, it's convenient for me. It works for me. The level that I forgive people, I believe is accurate for my life. She doesn't live my life. She can't tell me otherwise. In the same way that my level of selfishness is accurate and appropriate for me. The reason why selfish is an important word is because we focus way too much on self-love and self-care and there's a limit with that so the the gospel line that everyone wants to bring out is like self-care self-love is what we all need to do but only if everyone else is looked after first but by the time you do that there's no time and energy left for yourself so in order for you to put yourself higher on your priority list it's not optional it's compulsory for you to put someone else's needs below yours And uh, it's like a readjustment that if you're like number four on your list, for you to go to number three, number three has to automatically go lower. And so 
you have to be more selfish if you want to rest at the weekend and your boss is sending you emails at 10 o'clock on, on a Saturday night you have to disregard your boss's need for a reply to that email in order to have your restful weekend and so we want to talk about self and self-love and self-care as a lofty concept but the practical thing is you are going to upset someone you are going to disrupt your current life when you start making different decisions and you need to be okay with the consequence of that and it's why i try not to write a whole book about um how you set boundaries and your life is perfect in the same way that we sort of have that message with self-love and self-care it's like oh well if you take enough bath uh, like bubble baths and have enough facials then you'll like have a really amazing life setting boundaries is hard it's why we don't do it um there are still times where i can't be bothered to set the boundary i know i should be i'm well versed in when i should be setting a boundary at this point but sometimes i'm just a little bit too tired to set the boundary sometimes i can't be bothered to have the conversation it's difficult to do i'm not going to lie and say it's easy but what i will say after 5 years of doing this it is always worth it and every time i haven't set the boundary or delayed it slightly it has come and like reared its nasty head at a later date because whenever you set a boundary you whenever you ignore a boundary you are in a way dishonoring yourself and not being authentic to how you actually feel yeah i i love that um <clears throat> before we wrap up i just want to check in with you and see if there's anything else yet you're you're working on or anything else you want to highlight about the book um at the moment i am working on my latest season on my podcast it's called in all honesty you can find it on spotify and itunes um and i am probably going through a shift with it at the moment at the moment you can send in voice notes and i answer your questions on uh each episode in different themes but um it's probably going into a more casual format which i was going to have a play with it tomorrow so that is currently what i'm working on so it's called in all honesty yes and that's your podcast yes oh great so people can find that you said on spotify yes and itunes and itunes and then are can they find your website online Yeah, it's www.michellelman.com and you can also find me on all social media at scarred not scared. Wonderful. Great. Well, thank you so much for taking time to share the what's we can look forward to finding in your book and to and to just be here and um let us get to know you a little bit too. Thank you so much. It's been so lovely chatting to you.